morning, brothers and sisters. Some uh, folks had asked Bryn and I when we first uh, met this congregation, what brought your family here? Why did you guys choose to come to this church among all the churches out there? And there's some different answers uh, we provide, although um, probably the fullest answer might be that we had heard something of uh, Pastor Carl's ministry and his uh, bold and biblical preaching, something that, of course, we were eager to be under. And I had, in, in the past, met him one time at a pastor's day at a Christian school. And at that pastor's day, some of uh, us pastors were there mingling and talking to each other beside of one of the classrooms. And Pastor Carl was right in, in the midst of the classroom with uh, a little girl from the church. And um, the way that he was so tender and caring and gentle with her struck me. And I thought, you know, that's the sort of man that I want to be. That truth of having a firm biblical conviction regarding the gospel and the teaching of scripture is something we must hold fast to. And yet so also truth must come hand in hand with love. I think we see that exemplified in, in our pastor. And so it should be with all Christians. Love should not be divorced from truth, nor truth devoid of love. Both truth and love are vital to Christianity. And the Apostle John, in his letters, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, continues to repeat these two words, truth and love, truth and love, again and again and again. And so this morning, we're going to look at the last of John's letters, 3 John, which uh, if you go to the back of your Bibles in Revelation, and you flip just a couple pages past the beginning of Revelation to the left, you'll find the little letter of 3 John. It's easy to miss. It's the smallest book of the Bible. Right there beside Jude and 2 John, we have 3 John, John the Apostle's third letter. The same man who penned the book of Revelation, who penned the Gospel of John, has written three letters to the churches whom he has influenced. And uh, we considered 2 John last week, and we'll look at 3 John today. John has been dealing with some challenges among the churches that he has had an influence on and authority over. Those challenges relate to false doctrine. Those challenges relate to um, lack of love and um, inauthentic Christianity. And so he continues to go back to the basics, truth and love. And in this last letter, we see him really get into the nitty-gritty of a problem that's gone on in one of these churches and he encourages one of the saints there, Gaius, with this letter, but also provides a, a warning and rebuke to another man. Before we uh, dive in, 
Let's pray again, and then we'll read the passage together and consider what the Lord would have for us this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us through your Son, Jesus Christ, sending him to die for us, that we might be forgiven of our sins and welcomed into the heavenly places to live with you forever. We thank you, God, for the gospel. God, we pray that we might cherish more deeply the truths of the gospel, the truths of the Holy Scriptures, that we might walk in them, and that we would, as a result, also love one another deeply and love the lost and love you, O God, for all that you have done for us. God, I pray this morning that as I proclaim the truth of your word, that you would be at work through your Holy Spirit among us, in our hearts, that we might be more like Jesus, that we would be more loving, and that we would also be more truthful, and that our testimony would not be contradicted by our lives. Oh Lord, help us to live consistent lives as we seek to be your witnesses in this world. And Lord, for any who is yet to come to know you, I pray, Lord, that today might, might be the day where they truly trust in the gospel and experience your love as they see your son, Jesus Christ, and all that he has done for them. So, Lord, would you be at work among us this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Third John, John's third letter. This is what the word of the Lord says. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil. But imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius 
has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself, we also add our testimony. And you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. Amen. This is God's word. And as I mentioned, I'll briefly repeat again from last week. The Apostle John is perhaps by this point the last of the 12 apostles still alive at the time of this letter being written. John is by now in his old age, perhaps in his 70s or even in his 80s or later. And in his later years, he had quite the ministry in Ephesus and the nearby regions in what would be modern-day Turkey, referred to back then as Asia Minor. And in, uh, in this time, there have been many churches established, perhaps some quite small, perhaps some of them meeting in homes and missionaries, preachers traveling about from church to church to assist these churches, perhaps some of them recently established. Now the exact details of what's gone on in these churches we don't know. We can only piece together bits here and there from what we read in these letters. And um, we don't want to be too... uh, presumptuous about how it all fits together but nonetheless it's clear there have been preachers going around helping these churches and and as we looked at last week in second john also some false teachers as well that john has had concern about and so we come to third john and john rather than writing a letter to a church he actually writes a letter to one man by the name of gaius Was Gaius an elder? Well, we don't know. Perhaps. Perhaps he was a man of means, a wealthier man who uh, was able to host some of these preachers in his home. And he writes this letter to him to commend him, the example of one man, and to condemn the example of another. You might say that this is a a story about uh, three men rich man, the megalomaniac, and the missionary. They all walked into a church together. Sounds like a bad joke. Well, I won't, uh, I won't try to come up with a punchline, but um, these three men, the whole letter here revolves around the three of them, and we see in them two good examples and one terrible example. And as we look through this letter, we'll look at their examples and we'll work through it really in in four sections, four sections. And I think what we'll see is this, slander and selfishness undermine the truth, but love compels us to support it. Slander and selfishness undermine the truth, but love compels us to support it. We'll unpack that in more detail. Let's look first at verses 1 through 4. And and here we see this. Love compels us to encourage those who walk in the truth. 
John encourages Gaius and those with him for how they have been walking in the truth. And, and so should we. So should we, brothers and sisters. We, see, we learn that from John. John loves Gaius. He says, the elder, referring to himself, his own pastoral role, and perhaps also his age, he says, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. There's those two words. Love and truth. We'll see those again and again. He prays for Gaius that he would be in good health. And then he also says, I rejoiced. Gaius, I rejoiced when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now, of course, this is not John's literal child, his own son. This is a man probably who was... um, maturing as a Christian under John's ministry, maybe even converted under John's ministry. John, being an aged man, would no doubt have probably been older than him. And um, John rejoices to see God's work in this man's life, to see him believing the truth of the gospel, and in believing the truth of the gospel, living in a manner that accords with the gospel that that God has saved him and changed his life so that he's not the same as he was before he's a different man and he's walking a different life and this is something that brings John great joy great joy and and brothers and sisters even just as a simple application of this first little section this little greeting from John May we be actively looking for ways that we can encourage one another. Go out of your way to think about, hey, how has that brother been serving the Lord? How has that brother been growing in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? How has that sister been um, growing in her faith? And what can we commend to them? encourage them to keep on going, to keep on striving for Christ-likeness. We need to be, uh, I think, intentional, to use a a common buzzword of the day, but, but nonetheless an appropriate one. We need to be intentional about thinking for ways that our brothers and sisters are growing in their Christ likeness, growing in faith, growing in love, growing in Um, obedience to God's commands. You know, uh, some of us here have kids that play in a little soccer league together, and I thought, you know, with my own son and some of you with your children as well, we watch them play soccer, and we will cheer on some of the littlest things, won't we? You kick the ball, and then maybe a couple years later, you kick the ball in the right direction. It almost seems a little bit funny, doesn't it, that uh, we would cheer on such little things. And yet we should. We are their parents, and we delight to see them growing. We delight to see them improving. And how much more should we as Christians cheer on the, the little things, even, of our brothers and sisters in Christ as they seek to walk in a manner pleasing to God? This is what John does for Gaius. 
He encourages him in his walk in the truth. Love compels us to encourage those who walk in the truth. And I'll say this as well, you know, for some of the children here, maybe um, children under 18, maybe even grown-up children as well. You know, the greatest joy that you could ever bring your parents is if they see you come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't say that as a manipulation because the fact of the matter is that shouldn't be the motive. That's not the primary motive to come to the Lord. But... If that would bring that much joy to your parents, imagine how much more joy it would bring to your Father in Heaven. The Father in Heaven rejoices over His children coming home to Him, coming out of their sin and trusting in His Son, Jesus Christ. There is much rejoicing in Heaven over every sinner who comes to the Lord in repentance and in faith turning from sin and trusting in Jesus and finding forgiveness there and reconciliation to him. This is what John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. The second section here from verse 5 through 8, we see, a, we see something else. Love compels us to support those who proclaim the truth. First we saw love compels us to encourage those who walk in the truth. In verses 5 through 8, we see this. Love compels us to support those who proclaim the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. So who are these brothers? Who are these strangers? Well, again, we kind of have to figure out some of the details here and pull them together. These brothers, these strangers, were almost certainly the, the missionaries, the preachers who had been traveling around church to church preaching the gospel and who had made their way back to John. John had perhaps been involved in sending them or at least knew them. Maybe they were from his church and they had gone to Gaius's church and they had preached and they had taught and now they had returned back. And Gaius had been a key man in terms of supporting them. It seems likely that he probably had them in his home. Because it says in the end there of verse 6, you'll do well to send them on their journey. As he speaks of uh, more who Gaius is receiving. Gaius is probably hosting them and feeding them and perhaps uh, financially supporting them in other ways. And He's done so in the past as well with these other brothers who have come beforehand. And so John is commending him for this. This is one of the ways that Gaius is walking in the truth. This is one of the ways that Gaius has been serving the Lord. Gaius has supported these Christian preachers, Christian missionaries. And so he says this, that these strangers, these preachers that had come back, strangers to Gaius, they testified to his love before the church. So the church that Gaius is at now, or sorry, the church that John's at now, these guys have come back and, and they've spoken well of Gaius and said, 
He's loved us, truly loved us. He, he, he took us in. He fed us. He supported us. He sent us out again. We are well taken care of by him. And he does this, why? Because he loves them and he loves God, right? And um, I think that this is just uh, something that so simple and yet so important. Such a, such a simple but important application for us as Christians. We should be hospitable and generous people, shouldn't we? Hospitable and generous people. Making our homes and our resources available to one another. Why? Because we love one another. And even when someone whom we don't know well, someone who might be, in other, in other words, a, a stranger to us, but we know to be uh, a brother or sister or, or, as we see here, a preacher of the gospel, comes into town, well, we should seek to take them under our wing and help them any way that we can, whether that means putting them in our spare bedroom, giving them a meal on a Sunday afternoon, maybe a visiting preacher that's coming for the morning or evening here, or even just um, uh, a guest or uh, someone who you don't know as well in the church to say, hey, maybe you should come over sometime and we'll get to know each other a little better. Why would we do that? Because we love our Christian family. We love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we should show each other such hospitality. You see, Christian hospitality exemplifies the character of God. The work of God. Yeah, and, and he says this, to send them off in a manner worthy of God. Now that could maybe be interpreted in a couple different ways. But perhaps one way that John might mean that is that Send them off as God would send them off. Send them out of your home with the sort of generosity and care and kindness that God would. You see, God the Father has sought to bring us into his home. Actually, as we just sang about in the previous hymn, God the Father has sought to bring us into his heavenly dwelling. And he's done so not simply for a night, but for eternity and at great personal cost to himself. You might think, well, I can't really host people. It might cost me uh, some money to have to buy all this food and stuff. You know what it costs God to have people come into his heavenly place? It cost him his son. And his son went willingly to the cross to die for sinners like you and me that we might be forgiven and made right with God and be able to be brought into his presence to live with him, not for a night, but forever. Unimaginable love. And he is preparing a place for us. And you know, we ourselves, we are not fit to come as we are. That's why Christ Die. We can't enter the king's wondrous home in the muck of our sin or with curses in our mouth or with blood on our hands. We must be cleansed. And that's why Christ came. That's why Christ died. Christ died that, that our sin might be washed away. 
dealt with, forever, done, gone, and that his righteousness might be ours so that we might be clothed rightly to enter the presence of a holy God and to live with him in joy and love forever. And so perhaps you're here and you have not had your sin washed away or properly dealt with. God calls anyone who would believe to come to him and to be saved and to have their sin washed away, cleansed, forgiven, a heart changed. The call simply is to repent and believe the gospel, to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, so that God would forgive you and bring you into his heavenly place forever. What good news that is, brothers and sisters. And it's this good news which should motivate us to show the same sort of, well, not the same sort of exactly, but you know what I mean, the same sort of care, the same sort of kindness to fellow Christians, to anyone, to take them in and to send them out in a manner worthy of God. And he gives a few more reasons for this. One, of course, is that we're motivated by love. And two, you might say as well, is that this is the same sort of thing that God has done for us. But what he says in verse 7 is this, when it comes to the preachers in particular, the missionaries, they have gone out for the sake of the name. And as uh, A.J. read earlier in Matthew chapter 10, this great commission did not stop with the 12 apostles. It didn't stop with John. John's nearing his deathbed. But this great commission goes on, and there are more preachers that are being sent out to bring the gospel into new and faraway places. Just as Jesus commissioned in Matthew 10, they're going out. For the sake of the name, so that people might hear this good news. And so that's one reason why we should support them. They are representing the Lord. A second reason is this they're accepting nothing from the Gentiles. The people that are receiving the gospel don't know that they need the gospel, and so they have no value in the gospel yet. So who's going to support them? The people that believe it already, right? You know, I had a... My father would come to church with me uh, years ago when I lived in Kitchener. And uh, one of the things that always irked him is, uh, is uh, when the plate was passed around. And I said to him, you know, Dad, it's not for you. This is for Christians. This is for believers. You don't have to worry about that. Um, and, uh, and the fact of the matter is we do this... Because we believe in the gospel, right? And we don't want anyone to feel compulsion. Any, gen, any, you know, he talks about the Gentiles here. We don't want anyone who doesn't believe it to feel compulsion to give. Um, this is something that we do as believers willingly. Why? Because we know they've gone out for the sake of the name. And so what John's saying is that there is a unique there is a unique ministry, the most valuable thing that could ever be spoken, the most valuable thing that could ever be given is being distributed by those who proclaim the gospel and no one knows its value except those who already believe it. 
So who is going to ensure that that continues to be made known? Well, it is the Christian church. And so we should support our pastor, Pastor Carl. We should support our missionaries and ensure that they are able to continue doing what they do and making known the truth about Jesus Christ. And he says also this in verse 8. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. See, when we care for our pastor, when we care for our missionaries, when we um, support them, we also participate in this work. Which is why Jesus says in Matthew 10, even if you give a cup of cold water, you won't lose your reward. If you receive a prophet because he's a prophet, you will not. You'll have a prophet's reward. And why would that be? It's because we are participating in the work of the preacher or of the minister or of the missionary when we show them this support. And we are involved in the advancement of the gospel in God's kingdom and share in that reward. So these are some of the reasons that he provides to encourage Gaius to continue doing what you're doing. Why? Because more missionaries are coming. In fact, we'll see later, one's just brought Gaius this letter. More preachers are coming, and they're going to continue to rely on men like Gaius for help. Because Gaius doesn't let them in, their home, in his home, where are they going to go? They may not have anywhere to go, and they may be exposed to the elements and, and not be able to continue the work that they're doing. So he's spurring Gaius on. Love compels us to support those who proclaim the truth. Now, here is where things get a little bit uh, intense in the next little section here. We've seen that love compels us to encourage those who walk in the truth. Love compels us to support those who proclaim the truth. And... Thirdly, love compels us to rebuke those who oppose the truth. Gord, I don't know if you read this passage ahead of time, but uh, there's definitely some overlap here. Verse 9 and 10. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. You see, we've talked about the rich man, and now we're looking at this guy, Diotrephes, who I've termed the megalomaniac. Now, that's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? If you don't know what the word megalomaniac means, well, think of the word mega. And think of the word maniac, and there's a, there's a bit of a start, okay? It's somebody who is proud, self-focused, power-hungry, and even destructively so. And this is exactly what we see in Diotrephes. He is one who, John says, likes to put himself first. He is one who uses his 
position. Perhaps he's a man of means like Gaius, or perhaps he was a leader in the church. It's hard to say for sure. But he uses his position or his prominence or his power or his money to wreak havoc to get his way. And he refuses to welcome the brothers and spreads lies about John and others. This is a destructive man. And brothers and sisters, we must be very careful as John speaks to Gaius to not be like him. He goes on afterwards in verse 11 to say, don't imitate evil, but imitate good. So Diotrephes, maybe he could have had the opportunity to host in his home this missionary group as well, or maybe he was the one who was hosting the, the church in his home, but he would not receive them, and, and plainly John has made efforts already to write to him, to write to the church, and to get them to, uh, to understand the truth of the gospel, to get him to understand uh, why these uh, missionaries are going around and so on. There has been communication already. This is not an interpersonal problem like, uh, like we read in Matthew earlier, when Gord read in Matthew earlier. This has become a very public itch issue, unfortunately, and has required John to contend here for this little congregation. And John says this with very sharp words. I will bring up, or sorry, I lost my spot. I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. So John, you might think, well, how does this work out with love? This doesn't sound very loving, does it? Well, actually, it is loving. Because what's going to happen to Gaius and these Christians and to the world that needs the gospel in this area if, if, uh, if John doesn't say anything, doesn't do anything. Well, perhaps Demetrius, or sorry, not Demetrius, Diotrephes here is one of these who is sympathetic to the Gnostics, as we talked about last time, this false teaching group, which was also making its rounds. They're teaching things about Christ that are false. They're saying maybe he didn't come in the flesh, or maybe he's not God, or maybe... His atonement isn't really what you thought it was. They have some new ideas, new perspectives, which are actually destructive. And, uh, and perhaps this guy, Demetrius, is sympathetic to them and actually opposes the true gospel that John is preaching and these missionaries are preaching. And so John here contends for the truth and rebukes this man, Diotrephes. Well, brothers and sisters, we need to be care people who are very careful to avoid gossip, so very careful to avoid slander, very careful to not try to put our own desires before others. Don't have a re rebellious spirit. These sorts of things really can hurt our brothers and sisters in Christ. These sort of things hamper the advancement of the gospel, hinder the work of Christian ministry. 
And this is why John is so concerned. He loves his people. He loves those who are lost. And he wants to ensure that the truth of the gospel continues to be proclaimed in Gaius' congregation. Last, lastly, the last little section here, verses 13 to 15 are quite similar to last week, so I won't spend much time there. But verses 11 and 12, we see this. Love compels us to imitate those who model the truth. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. So here we are introduced to the third man, Demetrius. We've met Gaius, we've met Diotrephes, and now we meet the missionary Demetrius. See, Demetrius almost certainly was the man who carried this letter to Gaius, and John writes this word of commendation of Demetrius because, like some of the others who've come before, Gaius may have no idea who this guy is. He's a stranger. And yet he is a preacher of the gospel, coming to make known the word of the Lord. And so John offers his commendation of Demetrius to Gaius, encouraging Gaius to continue to support missionaries like him and, as well, to imitate such a man. You see, there's something that's very important about Christian um, church participation, uh, Christian church uh, membership even, because how in the world is John supposed to know who this Demetrius guy is without the commendation of John? The guy just shows up. John, uh, Gaius would have no idea whether or not this guy is one of the false teachers or this guy is one of, uh, one of the preachers of the gospel. He needs this letter of commendation from John regarding this man. And so, here we have it. Demetrius is one who has a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, he says, and you know that our testimony is true. See, within the Christian church, there should be uh, accountability, responsibility, um, mutual love and affection, as we've discussed. But, uh, but we can speak to each other's character and hold each other accountable in our walk with the Lord. And in this way, we're able to ensure that the good news of the gospel is guarded, that those who preach the gospel live a life in accordance with the message that they teach. And in doing so, we, we help ensure that there is no... Um, Imposters. 
And so Demetrius here is commended. And, and brothers and sisters, we in the church should look to um, those before us in the faith as examples as well. Of course, not perfect examples, but of our leaders, Pastor Carl, our elders, AJ and Roger, we see in them examples. We see in some of our senior saints here, those who have walked and followed the Lord for years now, examples of godliness that we can look up to and should imitate and commend to one another. And may we look out for those who are self-seeking, who are proud, who are slanderous and gossiping, and, and be very careful not to go along with that, to, to stop it right in its tracks. I like to think of uh, dandelions as a bit of an illustration here. When you see a dandelion in your backyard, you want to deal with that right away. You want to pluck that thing up before it spreads, don't you? Get that thing out of there because if you let it grow and you let those seeds blow in the wind, it's going to be everywhere very quickly. Um, there's a uh, hesitate to even use this uh, this analogy, but uh, we had a, a neighbor who just moved out, and he had a giant weed growing in his backyard, and the thing was literally eight feet high, <laughs> and it started creeping over into our yard. That's how big it was, and as soon as the neighbor was out, I went over there with a shovel, and I took out that weed, and... <laughs> got rid of that thing because I thought if I let those seeds start blowing all over our lawn we're going to have a lot of weeds to clean up pretty shortly um, and, uh, and brothers, so, brothers and sisters so it is in the church we must be very careful not to allow slander or gossip or sort of a, a bitter spirit or rebellious attitude to to infect our hearts or infect our conversation uh, pluck it up pluck it up don't let it spread because such is a hindrance to the advancement of the good news of Jesus Christ slander and selfishness undermines the truth but love compels us to support it let's close in a word of prayer Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of the gospel. Thank you for making room for us, O oh God, in your heavenly kingdom. How undeserving we are. And yet you have changed us. We pray, God, that we would walk in accordance with our testimony. And that we would honor you by loving one another and seeking the advancement of the gospel. We pray in Christ's name.